Good day, listeners. Welcome to today's episode of Say Word. And Say Word is a podcast that we started. The goal is to inform, to offer diverse perspectives and add a touch of humor where appropriate to events happening in Toronto and in our world that our listeners can connect with. And we want to leave you with content that is a good use of your time. I am your host, Ahmed, a.k.a. I don't believe the hype, so don't believe the hype. And helping me make today's episode a success are five brothers. We got Hirsch, our resident scholastic book fair bandit. We got Larone, a.k.a. the St. Lucian Big O, a.k.a. Feet coming to a desk near you. We got Hassan, our resident podcast shaman. We got Batter, a.k.a. planning an insurrection at his local Popeye's. You got to explain what that's all about. We got to get to the spicy chickens from me, man. You can't hide the spicy chickens, man. And we got Eddie, we got a guest, a.k.a. I'd run for office to make a four-day work week. Yes, he's the right man to have an office. Eddie, tell us a bit about what you're excited about in joining today's episode. Well, I have been a uh, an avid listener of the podcast since it launched last year. Oh, thank you. Thank and you. I am excited to partake in some of the fun conversations and also discuss some of the happenings in the political world. Man, we're excited to get your perspective. Well, thank you very much for having me. We're going to get started with our fun topics today. As a man, you know, one of our most prized possessions is our hair. There are many instances, however, where the unfortunate reality is that men can go bald, you know, besides things like genetics, things like stress, the aging process, medication, inflammation of the scalp, poor diet, smoking, or poor sleeping habits can all contribute to hair loss. This report also forgot to mention evil eye. Um, but, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> don't go there. Don't go there. Dude, you don't even know, man. Hirsch, before we get into the different perspectives regarding balding, um, help our listeners understand the significant role our hair plays in our lives, especially as men of color, especially East African men. There's a confidence that you have when you have a good hairline. It, it makes up a huge, huge part of your looks. So in terms of attractiveness, like, for example, girls might say, I won't date a guy that's bald. Regardless of how good your personality is, you might be out of the runnings. If you are balding, you will be hearing about that at every single definitely. family function, yeah, right? Definitely. Every single family function. Yeah. You can lead that, Badar. I'm telling you, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen like family members pull out rulers. I've seen yeah, like man. protractors, like just to kind they of take out old pictures. People. They take out yeah. old pictures, like they, exactly reminisce, go down. Like, that that's know? that is harsh. That is side harsh. by side. If they're that doing side harsh. by side with a picture, you know it's bad. Man, it's like we don't make a lot of enhancements to our looks, so we just kind of you're there with what you're there with. Your hair is, is a huge, huge part of that, right? So once you start to lose it, I can see why people go down that road and have like an identity crisis. If you just never had it, that would be one thing, but to have it and slowly watch it deteriorate over time, I think that's why it like has a psychological effect, right? This is a touchy subject for me too, because my, my dad went bald badly. Like he hung on to an Afro for years where it started like halfway back and it was like, you know, like the old uh, Kobe Bryant fro when he was hanging on too long, like it, it was bad, right? Like his hairline was all the way back. And then he had only hair on the sides too. So like growing up, I was always worried about getting bolts, but they always said, you know, it's it's your mother's side and all, all these uh, superstitions and- Wait, you know, what? It's from your mother's side. So if your mother's 
father was bald, you're going to be bald. That's what they say. But oh. like Hirsch said, there's I lots think, of reasons I why you can go bald. That's I, a, I, I, I don't know the science. Yeah. I'm not a doctor. But yeah. There's lots of reasons you can go bald. Stress, poor diet, smoking, lots of other reasons, right? I once told a story about a barber who literally singed my hairline and brought mm -hmm. it back. So I was worried I was going bald too. So honestly, like the best solution I've seen is just, just come home, fam. Just, just take mm -hmm. it off. You know, just, yeah. just get a nice cut. Go to a good barber, get a nice cut. You know, go every couple of weeks and just, you know, take it off, right? Yeah. Um, I've had my hair my hair bald before it's not, it's not so bad you know and uh mm -hmm. if if the worry is girls not not liking your hair i mean that's all the wrong reasons so they're gonna make fun of you with the <laughs> worse the way your hair is gonna look with the hair right so it's easy to say from the man who's married with a kid married brothers man <laughs> you, you, you gotta you gotta acknowledge the suffering which is a good segue actually to my second question and batter it looks like your perspective is just you know let it go go out with dignity the average price for a hair transplant in turkey turkey seems to be kind of the rave for hair oh, transplant yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's only twenty one hundred dollars. I didn't get to validate that, um, but like, let's say for argument's sake, it's twenty one hundred dollars. And for this sum, you also receive an all-in package, apparently. So that means that you get a, a four to five star hotel, you get transportation, you get language assistance, and then you also get post-operative care provided. What? So with that said, yes. Yeah, so with that said, would you get a transplant, uh, especially since you can get a decent trip out of it? But if I'm in need of those services. I don't know how much, well, I don't know what the price is here, you know, so I don't know what to compare it to, but that sounds reasonable. I don't know what success rate they're guaranteeing too. That sounds reasonable. In uh, North America and Europe, I think the average cost is 15000 Oh, 15000 15, Yeah, 15000 yeah. 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 So oh, it's a huge, huge discount. Batter mentioned it. There's a difference between going bald and what I call going bald violently. Um, oh. So it's like... If you lose your hair, it's one thing. You know, it's like inch by inch, but yeah. when it's like a huge part of it, just like one week to the other week and you come into work and people are like, what the hell happened to that guy? That's yeah. what I, I wanted to avoid. Wait, do you guys know anyone that has had a transplant, hair transplant, and what their experience was? I don't know. Personally, no. No. Personally, Personally no. no. What they tell you is a better question. Nobody's going to advertise that, right? But then you would know, though, right? Like, even if the person's violently going bald or they're balding or whatever, the fact that, like, they come back one day with a full head of hair, like, I feel like there's social implications for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Hassan, so, you, you got the uh, Jackson 5 Pro going on right now. What's your What's your take on this? I mean, you know, as you just stated, you know, my situation is very healthy right now. Alhamdulillah. Honestly, I look, Alhamdulillah. You always have crazy. crazy yeah, evil eye, I'm telling you. Evil eye is a leading cause, man. There's no data to back it up, but. <laughs> it, it exists. So, um, I mean, from my perspective, look, I have a very great effort going currently. And my people, Somali people, come into this world with a very big forehead intact. My job is to not make that forehead any bigger than it needs to be. A lot of my haircut sessions are pre-pandemic, obviously. If I'm keeping an afro, I'm just not lining up like the, the top, like the, the top of the hairline. I'm just going to leave that alone because that's where it starts. You have to be very strategic. <laughs> you have to be very strategic with how you go at that. Now, if I'm, if I'm cutting the entire afro down, you know, I'm going with like a shorter head of hair. That's a different story. The constant lineups. When you have a full head of hair going in, and I know a lot of people who've done that, 
many of them are not doing so well today. And I've learned from those situations. I'm just trying to prolong this for as long as I can. I'm not yeah, trying to I notice the hair gets like bigger that. and bigger and bigger as the lineup goes further and further back. Exactly. So it's like and an emphasis not... to try to like hide that or masquerade that. Exactly. Like some, and that's that's just it's not fun, man. It's not fun. Mm -hmm. For me, I never anticipated having to deal with it because like I looked at my father and I was like, he never lost his hair. But now Batter's presenting this new information about your grandfather on your mom's side. And my grandfather on my mom's side was super bald. So I guess I have to think about oh, that. Do some research. Bro, yeah, what is um, super bald? What is super bald? What's super bald? He has the he has the George Jefferson. Is that is that the, oh, the Jefferson? Oh, like oh, like shine. He he's always on one had part, hair. but he has hair on the other part. Yeah, so it's like two pieces oh. on the side and the bald in the center. Yeah. But yeah, so I don't I don't know. I've done the test run when I was younger to see if I could rock a baldy because not everyone could rock a baldy. And I think I'm okay, but I don't anticipate having to deal with it. Nah, Lauren, you, you'd be good. I think you'd be good. I think you'd pull it off. So. What I feel bad for when I hear people, I see people going bald is that usually they have like a full beard and they're bald. So yeah. imagine having to deal with that, knowing you have all this hair on your face, but you're, lo you're losing hair on your head. It's like, God, can you help me out here? Like, <laughs> I just looked at George Jefferson to uh, refresh my memory. And I see what you mean in terms of like the sides. They look like go-kart handles, bro. Really, yeah, really they don't like, want to. He never, he never came home. I think that was the era when people they didn't want to just, you know, just let it go, right? Yeah, I don't understand that. I would just like let it go altogether. To answer the question of whether I would get a hair transplant, if it was covered by OHIP, a hundred thousand percent, I would get a hair transplant. And I think it's going to become more and more popular over time. Uh, we've all seen braces around, and that's a cosmetic thing. It's been normalized. People used to call it brace face and yada yada until like they got those clear ones. I'll just say this. I'll say if you want to go get, I know there's a stigma around it. If you want to go get your hairline fixed or whatever, I don't see Tory Lanez or Tiger complaining. So go do your thing. Like, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. You know what I mean? There's, go live your best life. You know what I mean? If you're going to do it, now's probably the perfect time because we're all quarantined. So you can sneak a quick trip to Turkey. You're blessed. Oh, those men are living. If you, got, if, you got the haircut, if you got the transplant right before we went into quarantine, you are among the most lucky. The, that and blessed. if you bought Bitcoin at its bottom, yeah, you guys are among the most luckiest after You're this winning. quarantine. You're among the winners of 2020. Moving on, we're going to talk a bit about uh, white privilege. And the first time I ever encountered white privilege, thank goodness it wasn't, it wasn't a direct experience that I had to confront but it was something that we, we learned about in the classroom. And I remember taking a poli-sci course on race, and I first became exposed to it where we talked about the advantages of using what they call a, a white-sounding name versus a non-one in your resume. So think uh, Sammy Baker versus Ahmed Abu Bakr. And then as life progresses, as you start to get older, as like many of us have, and you know we start to get into the working world, you know white privilege starts to become more and more apparent and obvious. Subtle, at least in Canada, but more obvious, which then begs uh, uh, the question, or which begs many questions. But the one question um, that I wanted to get your perspective on and your take on, gentlemen, is what would you do with white privilege for a year? And, you know, walk us through all the specifics of your answers. If I had white privilege for a year, I'll go travel the world, take all the sorts of pictures, have all the yoga poses, the namastes and everything else. Hashtag blessed. Uh, write a book about it in that same year, publish that book. <laughs> and all the royalties saved in a trust account somewhere. And at least 
you know, do something crazy enough and ask for forgiveness from the white community and I'll be forgiven for it. Most likely have a movie and win an Oscar for it and then back to my usual self the following year. Brilliant. That's a great answer. It sounds like you, can, you would get a start on it January 1st, bro. Yeah. Eddie, Eddie definitely thought about this question before. <laughs> yeah. And for me, it's a few things. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything too crazy except for the last one. But um, I'd never do the speed limit, ever. I'd always be like a 20 kilometers above the speed limit. And if you stop me, I'll definitely take advantage of my complexion for the protection and speak as forcefully about my rights as possible. And, you know, make up all kinds of things as to why I shouldn't get a ticket. And I'll see if I can get out of it. If I do get out of it, I'll make note of it. So when I turn black again, I'll be able to speak on it. <laughs> I'd, be more, <laughs> I'd, be more, <laughs> yo, I'd be a lot more forceful in meetings. So, you know, like as a black man, sometimes you kind of have to like tone it down a little bit to not seem menacing to people who may be fearful of like your skin or whatever it is based on stigmas. So there was one time I'm sitting in a meeting with a colleague. She's actually a close friend, white girl, blonde hair. And my manager was saying something and she responded. She asked a question. My manager started answering the question, my former manager. And he responded by saying something like, yeah, but what does that mean? You're not, you're not answering my question in a very rude type of way. When I tell you I was floored because I never have seen an environment where it's safe for a black person to challenge authority like that. You could do it, but you, you'd be considered pretty much an outcast. You'd be considered like, a uh, yeah, you'd be a problematic person. Yeah. In office. She did it and it was actually applauded. So I was like, wow. So I'll definitely do stuff like that. I would infiltrate every white supremacist group I can find. And I would snitch on all of them. <laughs> so that's that would be the one time I'd condone snitching. I'd take all the notes. I'd write down all the names. I'd take photographs. I'd participate in everything and I'm snitching on everybody. Oh man, I'd be all up in there throwing up the symbols, you know, wearing the MAGA hats and then I'm snitching on everybody. So those are the three things that come to mind. There's so many possibilities, so many possibilities. So I couldn't just choose one. The very first thing I do is demand a pay raise. And my rationale would just be because I don't think it's fair. And that's <laughs> it. I wouldn't even like elaborate on it. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> Immediately, like I'm telling you, the very moment first <laughs> giving about my presentation. Yeah. The next thing is I want to try out parkour because I think parkour done by minorities. I don't know. People just assume they're running away from a crime. <laughs> so, <laughs> only a certain type of person can like bounce off buildings and jump around and just. <laughs> We're like, oh, he's athletic. As soon as a black guy does that, what did he do? What did he do? <laughs> Next is I'd apply for any kind of venture capital funding for any idea, like a bidet with prayer times on it. <laughs> Immediately, I would just take it straight to contradiction. <laughs> contradiction. The most ridiculous of ideas, I would seek venture capital funding for it. I would do a TED talk about random topics like organizational synergy. Pick a topic, pick two words, put them together. <laughs> yeah, I present for 15 minutes. I would discover some exotic piece of clothing in a different culture. And I would pitch it to H&M or Zara That's to make money one. off of it. That's a good and one. And I would use my powers for good by offering to take black people's ideas to Shark Tank to retain more ownership. So if you guys actually watch Shark Tank, something you'll notice is 
when it comes to a black entrepreneur, it's like they offer money, but it's peanuts <clears throat> in comparison. They request like 60 or 70% of ownership. And I think they wouldn't have the audacity to ask, you know, a white person for that sub, much. Yeah, so that much. Contracts. So you're going to subcontract. Exactly, exactly. So five, for 5%, for 5% ownership, like, I will go and present your ideas to Shark Tank. And collectively, you're going to do better with my deal anyway. So, That's interesting. I didn't notice that. Yeah, it's something I noticed in Shark Tank. I'm like, what the hell? Not to steer away too far. Is there like a, a reason why they ask for so much ownership? Is it like, do they? How do they? How do they position it? Some of it is based on valuations, but a part of it is the promise, right? So a part of it mm -hmm. is um, black people have had issues with accessing funding, grants, business loans. So I think part of it, unfortunately, is how the structure of society is, right? So mm. white person might be like, hell no, you're not taking this much of my company because I'm going to try again and I'll go somewhere else and I'll get more money using the networks that they have. You guys are familiar with like Silicon Valley and how these guys are just able to drudge up millions and millions of dollars in funding for like ideas, right? So that network, that access to people with money. So I think they... There's a little bit of unconscious bias there where they assume that the person who's a minority who's presenting an idea is a little bit more desperate. And I think they try to take advantage of that. That's just my hypothesis. If you guys can watch a show or you guys have known known of Shark Tank. That's kind of just what I see. That's something I'm going to keep my eyes out for now. I, I never noticed it. Wow, that's crazy. You had this thought out very well. Like, the yeah. whole white, okay, give Hirsch white privilege for a year boom i'm gonna subcontract it i'm gonna start selling off pieces of my privilege to others and just yeah. start making money so that i yeah. have it when i go back you know exactly <laughs> either way all it's of like, us are, are setting ourselves up for success like everyone's trying to profit and like the obvious one we didn't really discuss the thing with rome got close was yo commit a crime real talk just commit a fucking crime just steal yeah, something yeah. And them, like, see what happens <laughs> right you know, just just to see, <laughs> right, you know, right. it can't be too serious, you know, it can't be too serious because you can't be black when they sentence you, right? Like, or you're fucked, right? So you yeah. gotta be, you're looking for a slap on the wrist, basically, is what yeah. I'm saying, you know, because a slap on the wrist for a white person is nothing. Like, that could be a life sentence for a black person or getting shot for doing it, you know, by the cops. Yeah. So, you know, no one, no one really went there. So I like Lerone's. Lerone is, uh, he's like teetering on the edge. He's just going to go, I'm just going to go 20 over. I'm just going to drag race on my way to mm -hmm. everywhere, mm -hmm. you know? And Eddie's, I think it was so funny. You, you went from starting an idea to publishing a book about your whole experience and doing all that. It's really, it really be like that though, right? It, it is, would it be is. like that. Yeah. It would be like that. Oh, so it's actually, yeah. it's so, it sounds so crazy, but that would be the culmination of like 30 years work for some people who are of color, right? So these are all jokes based on reality based on these are things that we actually see it happens a lot more than than we think but uh for me i, I i've teetered between I've, I've tried to think things out like super logically like the way hirsch did but every time i think about what i could get away with it's almost always okay on one of the first places i would test that out and would be the TTC. That's one of the first places I would test that out in. Nah, I would test as I possibly can. Yo, as as son, I feel like you have a real This guy has a issue with the TTC, man. I would try and dodge as many fares as I possibly can, see how long it takes before they finally send the fare inspectors after me and how nice they'll be about it.
But after that, maybe like something a little bit more structural, like trying to get like a bank loan and see how smoothly that goes. Yeah. Like buying a house at 990,000 with 5% down and still getting the best <laughs> interest. <laughs> or getting a job without adequately preparing for it. You know, there's yeah, so yeah. many things. So, <laughs> this is one really year though. This is one this is one year. <laughs> My answer would be totally different if it was a lifetime because things like starting an NGO based on an issue that has nothing to do with you or seeing people quit their jobs to do the most obscure things with super confidence. Like I saw a lady who just said, I am destined to be an autism dating coach. I'm not even being facetious guys. Like I actually watched an episode where she's like, I quit my job. I think it was like a lawyer or whatever. And she's like, yeah, I, I, I found my calling and it was to be like an autism dating coach. I would definitely love to do that. Uh, yeah. Focus on just seeking purpose. Yeah. And they look. They always look at you like if, if you need to take time off, but you can't because you're, you know, you're trying to save or whatever it is. They always look at you with such like shock that you can't do it. Like just take the time off. What? Like just take six months. I'm like, it doesn't work like that for us, right? So yeah. I, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a disconnect there that uh, needs to be bridged. I'll just say this just quickly. That video that was uh, floating around with that lady who got maced. What happened? You were trying to go inside yeah, the Capitol? Yeah, I, I made it like a foot inside and they pushed me out and they maced me. You're storming the Capitol, it's the revolution. That video needs to be used by educators in the decades to come. That epitomized white privilege. Like she was like, duh, we're storming the Capitol. Like it's a revolution. Yeah. Can you imagine? What do you mean? Yeah. I'm in the capital. Like, don't, doesn't everyone do? Doesn't this happen every hundred years? Like, we're. I know. I, I can't. Yo, know, that the the kind of privilege that was entrenched in that little clip. Oh man, they need that to use that. Show Which is. The, yeah. It's yeah. Yeah, that's such a good segue to our main topics. And thanks for bringing up that point, Larone. And it's you know we're going from from talking about white privilege from a fun perspective to a bit more of a serious tone, especially with events that took place last week. Now, we're going to be talking about, obviously, the Capitol Hill incident. And on January 6th, 2021, thousands of Trump supporters came to hear him speak below the White House about the alleged, emphasis on alleged, rigged election results. Trump incited his followers to give congressional Republicans the kind of pride and boldness that they need to take back our country. And shortly after, like you mentioned, Lerone, many marched to Capitol Hill up the steps, pushing their way past Capitol Police and made their way into the building. This past week has been insane. It just felt like something you would see in a movie. Eddie and Lerone, you know, Eddie, you can go first. And Lerone, I would love to get your take on it shortly after. But, you know, incidents like this, like you'd mentioned, Lerone, shed, shed light on the power of white privilege. You know, with, with Trump's administration, it's been plagued with with lies, with hateful rhetoric, with white supremacy. I mean, wasn't an event like this inevitable? Why are we, you know, as a society, still surprised that incidents like this happen? What's your take, Eddie? Was this inevitable? I think so. I think so. I think from the earliest period in Trump's administration, if you can remember, he did mention that there were good people on both sides when it came to racism incidents. He did mention during one of the debates for Proud Boys to stand up and stand proud as well. I think the rhetoric has been really like changing into this path. And it's really been a cause for concern because a lot of these white supremacist groups have been flocking onto social media sites, have been picking up from his cues as well. I think that since the election results, 
he's been really instigating this to happen as well, right? In yeah. December, they knew that this would be happening as well. And they knew people would be rallying up. He stood there and called them to action as well. I think it is concerning because had this been a black president, for example, and during the previous debate had mentioned, like, say, Black Panthers stand ready, what would society's perception be? How would it be taken to that as well, right? Had this been a Black president that mentioned to a Black Lives Matter protest, like, let's go and march as well, how would that have been taken? The double standard as to how these white protesters were treated, who walked in as if they knew exactly where to go. You had very few military or police officers present. They stormed in, they crashed through the building. And whereas when it came to, say, the Black Lives Matter protests that happened in June last year, you had a huge group of military. You had helicopters watching people. Social media sites were being monitored. Arrests were happening on spot. These rioters were given the night and then they were arrested the day afterwards, right? It was more like, go have dinner, right. spend time with your family, we'll come, up, we'll come for you the next day. It was a slap on the wrist. So looking at the issue, I find it troubling because Trump has really like poked the bear in which he's got people galvanized as well. But mm -hmm. even though he does leave in the next 11 days, these people are still going to be around. There's still going to be people who think like these. These people have been entrenched into our institutions and that is something that has to be dealt with institutionally as to how do we handle this kind of uh, thinking in uh, in our day to day. And I think that's going to be a huge challenge for the Biden administration moving forward, given that there will be a lot of resistance from the inside who do support this kind of way of thought. But Laurent, uh, I also open up for you to get your thoughts. Yeah, no, Eddie, I think everything you said, very well said. We're living in very interesting times. I think we've all known as black people collectively that a double standard has existed in of terms of what we can do and what other people can do. Mm -hmm. But I think we all collectively had a, there was a, a great swell of satisfaction in a weird way. Not that we were happy that this was happening, but we had some degree of satisfaction for the world to see, look, this is what we've been talking about. This is this is the perfect example of what we've been talking about in terms of the double standard that exists. I, I don't want to sound like I'm encouraging what happened because it was absolutely deplorable. But I think what happened is necessary. And I don't think it's done because I think America and Western civilization needs to come to terms with something they've never been forced to come to terms with, which is the original sin of slavery and everything mm. that has come from that. Yeah. Right. So when you keep acting like there is not something wrong or people do not need reparations or black people have not been systematically put in a position where we are disadvantaged and we need to be uplifted in some in some form, whatever form of reparations you agree with, this discussion needs to happen. You have situations like this. If you notice, there were two gentlemen who on the steps kind of simulated what happened with George Floyd, with someone putting a foot on someone's neck. So you could see that the root of all these issues is a certain segment of society feeling like they're losing a hold of the power that they possess. Because what does George Floyd have to do with your protest? You're protesting the election, right? And the results of the election. So clearly you're saying that you don't like 
the shift in society in terms of society becoming more progressive by doing this and you feel threatened that you're losing grasp of whatever power you think you have. So I think this needs to happen. We need to have real conversations because the status quo, when we act like everything is okay, what happens is minorities, black people specifically, just suffer in silence. We articulate what's wrong in our communities, but it's never really received with the urgency that it needs to be viewed with. So when you have these situations where the status quo is shaken up and we're forced to look at our systems with a critical eye, I think it's it, nothing but good can come out of it in the long term because the way it is currently, there's a certain segment of society, specifically black people, who are just left to suffer. So mm -hmm. I think these things are inevitable. When you act like there's no problem for long enough, at some point it will come to a head. Oddly enough, the group of people who did that are people who feel that they are being targeted, people who feel like their rights are being trampled on. And they may have a bit of a case. As strange as it might sound, the fact that Donald Trump was censored, it creates a conversation now about censorship, which is, has been going on for a while. But he may make the case now that what he said was not incendiary enough to incite that type of action. So by silencing him, what you're doing is that you're infringing on his constitutional rights and freedom of speech. And that could impact everyone. So there, there are implications here that ripple across various issues. But I think at the core of it, is this issue with Black people not being represented well with the systems that exist. Our resistance to that has caused a more forceful response by the other side. Not to look at it that way, but that's what it has come to. There are people who believe in progressive ideologies and wanting to see everyone live on an equal playing field or mm -hmm. having an equal playing field exist in societies. And there are some people who do not, despite what they say, they do not believe in that. Because if you do believe in that, you wouldn't be opposed to universal health care. You would be opposed to kids being locked up in cages. Or you would be opposed to someone calling the, the Mexicans uh, who cross the border rapists and killers or what have you. You would have issues with these things. So I think the fact that that segment of society does not have issues with that, that's indicative of their position on things. And as much as they like to champion democracy, what happened last week was a direct, a direct attack on democracy. So it gives us an opportunity now to look at what has caused this and try to fix it from the root, not just surface level remediation. Uh, I think you raised some good points, actually. This is who they are, right? 70 plus million voted for Trump. There were Confederate flags around their necks as they walked around the Capitol, right? This is their original sin. This is something they never dealt with. Jim Crow era wasn't that long ago. Rodney King was beat on television decades ago. So this summer, when the George Floyd thing happened, right, the amount of people who were not black who finally said something like, oh, I get it now. What didn't you get before? I don't understand what changed, right? The rhetoric changed from that side. There were more allies. And I think what it boils down to me, and I think what Lerone is kind of saying as well, like, they weren't happy with the status quo. That's why they stormed the Capitol, right? And I agree with the notion that Biden actually doesn't represent change he actually represents the status quo the fight isn't over because trump is gone it was bad to begin with people were being shot in the street to begin with right so it begs the question i think a lot of the things that you said lerone is again like a challenge to what we saw on our side of democracy right there were a lot of journalists saying the same thing over and over like this united states the longest standing democracy the longest standing democracy but for who 
you have to always ask that question. And you even see how pervasive this rhetoric is now that you see there's anti-mask rallies outside. I see MAGA hats outside my, my house all the time on the on Young Street. They do these rallies all the time. And there was a, a pro-Trump rally in Toronto the same day of the Capitol riots, right? So we see how pervasive this is. There's a there's a core to it. And I think Ron pointed to it. You know, racism is pervasive in our society. And whether you're black in Canada or black in Europe or black in the United States, you see some universality to the way that black people are treated. Despite how different we all are, we are kind of homogenized by the way we are treated. So it's a very interesting topic and it kind of brings out a lot of emotions and a lot of things that have been unsaid that now need to be unpacked and need to be discussed openly. And hopefully Biden is a change. Hopefully that is something that happens. We'll see, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, he himself doesn't have a great history in terms of his relationship with the black community and what he's done in terms of his past roles in office, right? So I'd love to hear what others think, but I definitely think, you know, at the same time, it's deplorable, but it's also a challenge that's necessary, I think, as well. Yeah. No, well said, man. Well said. Yeah, well said, Vader. And, and you brought up, Vader, you brought up a point around like this kind of like trickling into Canada. You know, with the Canadian elections happening in 2023, do you see something, like, gentlemen, like mm. I'm posing this question out to the group, do you see something similar happening in our own elections? You do have those kinds of thoughts and sinister forces within Canada that are likely to be supported. It's just very on the down low. It's quiet, but they are there. They do exist. It's not that it's being imported from the U.S. It's also present here. And it is yeah. also a systemic distinction. Problem. Yeah, it is a systemic yeah. problem, just as much as it's in the U.S. The only difference is, is that the way the media here portrays it is that, well, you know, it can't be as worse as the U.S. as well, right? Mm -hmm. But then that's not yeah, that's a, a lot false of finger pointing. Yeah, there's a false yeah. narrative there. Like, yeah, of course, it can't be worse than the U.S., but there is still a problem when you look at healthcare, when you look at land rights, when you look at a whole a swath of different issues, we still have a race issue that's just not being picked up on by the political leaders. To your question, I don't think it's going to be as as dramatic as what we saw in the States because one, Aaron O'Toole is in Donald Trump. So Donald Trump, the thing about him is that he has a lot of media training. He's very persuasive in the way he presents himself. He's gotten people to believe he's successful uh, in the business world. Given, despite his track record, he's galvanized them to the point where they attack the capitals. Canadian politics is much more boring than in the States. And for good, for good measure, like for us, it's, I prefer it that way. You know, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to kind of see the stuff that I saw in the States because the day that it happened, I remember flipping on the news and I saw people stealing lecterns. So you guys saw that too. Climbing walls. Climbing walls. I was like, what the hell's going on? Chasing Capitol Police up the stairs. That random black guy who was just like outnumbered. Poor guy. Poor guy. Yeah. White supremacist gear, like branded. Smashing of windows. And it was just very bizarre. I think someone posted a picture of Trump's like inauguration. And then someone made the joke that it looked like Pride Rock after Scar took over with all the chaos and, and ugliness going <laughs> on. And I just remember thinking to myself, I'm like, what is a shithole country, right? Remember he was dissing Africans and like their way of democracy or like way Banner of life. And, yeah, and I was like, what? 
what is this? I mean, I think Turkey sent out a communication offering advice on transition of power. All these different countries just had a field day, right? Because I noticed in the West, we do a lot of analysis with regards to how countries govern, what kind of political system they have, the human rights record of people overseas. And we're used to viewing things from one lens, but you wonder, what does the other half of the world see? So I think there's always been that kind of hypocrisy yeah. that America's had to contend with in telling other countries how effective their government is and, and how they treat people. But I think that, as Laurent mentioned, it came to the surface a bit. Another reason I don't think it's going to happen is because of the consequences associated with it. So I think because of just how how visible it was, the amount of embarrassment that it caused the country, the outcries, the fact that it, the battleground was in a in a government building, it kind of put the pressure on the FBI and, and all these police organizations to take action, whereas maybe they wouldn't have taken action otherwise. So they're looking for people, they're charging them with election interference, obstruction of Congress, sedition, insurrection, conspiracy. So given our elections into the future, not, people will think twice because there's actually consequences associated with those actions. I just find it funny that he kowals his followers. I remember he saying, we're going to go to the march to the Capitol and I'll be right there with you. He was clear about that. He said, I'm going to be right there with you. And did you guys see him? I didn't see him. No. And, and he's probably in his bunker or something like that. <laughs> he was enjoying lunch. Speaking of consequences, so do we do we think Trump is going to be held accountable? Are there structures in place that could, or are there structures in place that can end up protecting him and him kind of walking away from this with a clean slate? I don't, I don't know. I don't think he'll, he'll see any lasting real punishment. I don't think he'll see the inside of a jail cell. I don't think he'll be charged to the degree that he should be held accountable to for everything that he's caused and everything he's incited. I think he has enough resources and now soon to be a former sitting president of the United States and the protection that affords. I don't think coming after him is the same. Obviously, he won't have the protection of being a current president and being in the White House. But I think there's something that comes with being a former sitting president and the types of stuff that you're protected from. And it just it, I think it's just embarrassing to for the country to have to to deal with the perception of, of, of yeah. them having to go after their, their elected leader in such a fashion. And I don't think they want to, as right as it is and as much as he should pay for what he's done. I think it's just really embarrassing for them to have another thing for them to have to go through to, to rectify in the public eye. I just I just don't think he'll see any type of consequences for it. That's just me, though. Does anyone think differently? No, I think I would agree with that. I think the title of the president is too powerful, to, not too powerful, but significant symbolically for them to, they almost did it with Nixon, I think, impeach. But to for this president in particular, you risk also making him a martyr of some sorts. Mm. He'll easily go back to the masses and say, like, I had no other choice, but they took it away from me. And then that may also galvanize more people. And also he still has the power to pardon. Uh, well, he can step down and Pence could pardon him as well, which is also 
uh, an alternative, right? They are considering the 25th Amendment, but they wouldn't apply that because it requires the person's state of mind not to be there. But whereas he has a very clear state of mind, he will, I think as Hassan noted, I think he may likely be out of office, but I think his record will speak for itself. Historically, we will know exactly what kind of president he is, but I think he may likely get off scot-free. Yeah, that's the bad yeah. part about. It. And, and to your point, Eddie, yeah, he 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 very well knows what he's doing. And Hershey, you talked about this. One of the things he hopes to do after he leaves office is uh, paying himself out on campaign contributions of the sum of two hundred million dollars from the Save America Political Action Committee. Mm. So something to kind of think of and, and ponder on that that the man is just setting himself up real is nice. It? Yeah, is Trump won United States of America zero. I've always said that Trump, if he was a stand-up comedian, would probably be one of the funniest I've ever come across. But I wanted to add to the point of the consequences, because what interests me is most right now is the fallout. Things have happened. We've seen them happen. But the question about whether to impeach him is a bit tricky, because under the Senate rule, the earliest a trial of impeachment could begin is January 20th, January 19th, sorry, and he's out January 20th. And it takes two thirds of the House and the Senate to do that, along with the support of the vice president, right? So very unlikely that that's going to happen. Him being banned. So we see, Laurent mentioned it before, and I think this is a really, really interesting component of it because we see him banned, right, from Twitter. And I think if he was actually to sue Twitter, he might be successful, to be honest. And the shutting down of his account, the shutting down of right-wing platforms is interesting because what happens to them, right? When he leaves office, when the inauguration happens, those people still live in your country. So it's not that they saw this craziness and they thought, oh, this is too much for me. Like, I give up on this. In fact, I think the media incites them to believe it further because they're detached from reality. So in their mind, the scenario is this guy's our wise leader. He cares about us. He did his best. We fought on behalf of him. If you shut down his media, you kind of bash him and deservedly so, there is a bit of a worry in my mind about where that energy is channeled. If there are no avenues for it online or where they feel kind of shut out online, does that, at least that would be a method to kind of track them, to see kind of where they are in the radicalization process. But if a lot of those people go underground, we might see more violence because historically gun sales have gone up in the States when people think that their gun rights are under jeopardy, right? So it's grim, but it may lead to more violence the harder and harder you push against him. Not to say we shouldn't hold him accountable or the U.S. shouldn't hold him accountable, but it's a very tricky dance because it's a touchy topic with regards to how do you deal with these people who were radicalized enough to attack their own government's capital. They're not going away. So what do you do? And this building bridges, Biden trying to say like, oh, I just want to like extend an olive branch. It's like, nah, because of this guy's rhetoric, he says that the election is stolen in mm -hmm. very clear terms. So he's yeah. not trying to extend an olive branch. He said already he's not going to attend the inauguration. 
So that just goes to show you he hasn't changed whatsoever. So what do yeah. his supporters do? It should be a little bit of a cause of anxiety, I think. Yeah, and I read on Times he finally accepted the election results, but it was kind of like, it was like with asterisks. It was like, I accept the, the election results, but he's still sticking with that, that narrative that the election was rigged. Yeah, it's like, an NBA, it's like an NBA fan talking about like championships and it's like, ah, you only won that because of injuries, asterisks. I feel attacked as a Raptors fan. Are you talking about the Clay Thompson injury? No, no, oh. no. I'm talking about <laughs> okay. in, in, I'm talking about even in relation to Golden State's first championship. Oh, oh, the, against Cleveland. As long as it's not us, I know KD and Clay got hurt, but as long as it's not us, no, nope. same for them too. They benefited. I know that was completely off topic, but you know, I just. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I thought it was a jab. I thought it was a jab too bad. I thought it was a jab too. I know we no, suck like, now, but hey, hey, give us the one. That's it. We it can get back on that. <laughs> We're not inviting Hassan to the next episode if that was a jab. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. I don't care. Like, you know, we're in our wheelhouse now that we're that, that we're losing all the time, you know. This is this is my comfort zone. No, I don't so. say that. Don't say that. I will say one of the funny things I saw this week, though, someone posted his supporters, political pressure, something made him come out Trump and give that weird, awkward, half-assed apology where it was two-faced, where he's like, if you did this, you're not American. You you don't represent America. And someone posted the screenshots from these right-wing websites, and they asked a good question because they're like, yo... I'm never supporting this guy again. I can't believe you said that about us. And the sentiment is, bro, you asked us to do this. Like, how are you going to tell me I'm not American? You're the one that told me to go out and fight and contest. So every time there's infighting, it's always hilarious. I found it funny when they were in limbo. They don't know what to do. They hate the Democrats, but their guy said, you're not American after he gave them the instructions to go take over the Capitol. But it is what it is. He's a con man. I want to say this as a PSA to black people. This one might be a good one to sit out. Whatever happens with the activism and right-wing people protesting and stuff, just stay in your house, chill, watch some basketball games. Don't go outside trying to be a hero because you don't want to be that one black guy outside and end up getting chased. You said there was one guy at the Capitol who got chased, right? You're a target. These people don't like you. Don't try to be a hero, right? You're probably the one they don't like. So just sit this one out, look at the news, chill with your family, right? Don't try to be a hero. Uh, Time Magazine reported that I think many of the Republican Party, like even though I don't think this is all gloom and doom for for the GOP, I think it's safe to say that Trump's legacy is forever tarnished. And like I don't think anyone can ever dispute that. Before we, we, we conclude today's episode, 50 years from now, what do you think history books will say about Trump's presidency? What, we, what do you think the headline is going to be? 50 years from now, I would say President Trump, the U.S. president that gave rise to the rest. And I the say US that president. because after this whole shamble four years, you have seen the rise of other nations, China, for instance, who have come up and taken lead in a various number of ways. If you look at the ways certain countries in the East have managed this coronavirus, they have really stepped up their game in terms of compliance and getting their societies back in order. And I think Trump and his policies or lack of 
policies have really given rise to a whole new set of superpowers. So my guess would be a President Trump, the U.S. president that gave rise to the rest. You heard it here, listeners. The U.S. president who gave rise to the rest. I think this is an amazing question, like how he will be remembered. I think it depends on who wins this ideological war that we're we're now fighting. Because history is always told by the victors, right? So this wave of populism that we've been seeing that was the root of Brexit, and I, I forget what the iteration of the Make America Great Again slogan that we have in Canada now, but there's a version of it now with the Conservative Party. They're trying to use the same tactics here. And so whoever wins that will be able to tell the story. If you notice with Trump, when he did his uh, his photo op in front of the church with the Bible in his hand, he created like a video with inspirational music behind it, you know, to kind of depict what it looked like and, and to tell the story. So and historically, we, we know that we do a lot of we have a lot of uh, narratives that are constructed to paint rosy pictures of a lot of atrocities that's happened. So I think it depends. I think it depends. If I were to guess, I would say the progressive ideologies that we see trying to make its way into the status quo will win. But to be honest, I don't know. I didn't expect Trump to be president. I thought when he announced that he was running, that everyone would laugh and we'd move on, but he became president. But at this point, I, I don't know what to think. I don't know what people will say about him later, but it depends on who wins this, this battle that we're fighting. Yeah. Best question I always ask people is, especially Amer- my American family members, do you remember where you were when Trump became president? And I kid you not, 100% of them can vividly remember exactly where they were, where they were watching the election and all of that. I think just to piggyback off of what Laron was saying, the slogan that I've been hearing, by the way, in, uh, in Canada that seems to be trickling from this school of thought that's happening in the States is take Canada back, I believe. Take Canada back where? Take Canada back to? I'm not sure. But that's the slogan I've been, I've been hearing from the conservatives that have been using it. Yep, there's the one. Interesting. Yeah. So I think as far as how he will be remembered, I do agree it's going to depend a lot on this next few years under this new administration and what the ideology is going to be going forward. Because it's not like these people who, uh, however many percentage, a high percentage ended up voting for Trump, they're not going anywhere. They're still in your country. You know that that type of turnout was there for this man who supported these ideals, this type of rhetoric. And they're not going to go away. Yeah, they lost. They lost in an embarrassing fashion. And they pulled a stunt like this. They're licking their wounds right now. But maybe all it takes is for someone who is a little bit more coordinated, knows how to follow things a little bit more structurally than Trump instead of coming off the cuff like that to be their new leader. And maybe then they have a little bit more of a concentrated effort in, in causing some real damage. Because right now, I think... A lot of the hilarity and the confusion of the way this capital definitely made things worse as far as Western civilization and the way we see ourselves and the, the image that we have ourselves about our societies and our governments. I think he's, he's someone who's definitely put a dent in that, that, that kind of hallowed self-image that we have of what American politics could be, of what it was, and of what it actually is. You guys have very thoughtful answers. Honestly, my response would have just been the headline would just be what the fuck was that? Because 
if you guys grew up during the George Bush era, George Bush used to say the dumbest things. I, I think we've gotten so accustomed to Trump. If you guys remember, George Bush used to be that person. Exactly. I'll, I'll, I'll run through a, a few things that George Bush has said in terms of sound bites. He said, uh, it's time for the human race to enter the solar system. He said, the vast, <laughs> the vast majority of our imports come from outside the country. There was like an event where he was talking to a woman from Omaha, Nebraska, who was complaining about like wages. And she told him, I work three jobs. And he said, oh, that's, you work three jobs? That's uniquely American. That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> so just the hilarity of like George Bush, right? But this guy's top that, of course, there's all of those serious undertones. He made a lot of issues bubble to the surface, but a lot of them weren't new issues, to be honest. So when you're talking about America's uh, race issues, they bubbled over the surface because a lot of things that were hidden from plain sight just became more and more clear. So I think to what Eddie was saying was really very interesting. I think if Donald Trump's impact is going to be measured or thought about over time, it's going to be kind of what he did to America's either reputation or progress on the world stage. And it was, a, I think, a reminder, wake-up call to the rest of the world where it's like you can't just depend on funding from America. You can't depend, just depend blindly on political will or America to take up your cause. You kind of have to look inwards. And I think it was a, less, a lesson for a lot of either organizations or countries that have just kind of gotten used to depending on America for a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. The U.S. president who gave rise to the rest, I, I really like that one. But everyone gave really, really thoughtful ones as well. But we're gonna we're gonna end it there, gentlemen. And I, I wanted to to thank you for for the the, the really insightful conversation today. And, and and as always, thanks for your perspectives. For our listeners, I hope you enjoyed that. We 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 had some some heavy hard topics. We would love to get your input. We would love to get your feedback, especially on how we can make this a better listening experience. Please leave your comments on our page at the Say Word Podcast. We hope this made you think. We hope that you are able to join us for our next episode. Be safe, everyone. Mm -hmm.